Praise the Lord. Well, friends, you can be uh, seated. It's kind of nice to hear good news about yourself periodically. You know, most times we look at ourselves, we look in the mirror and we think, oh my goodness, you know. Uh, we look at our lives, our challenges of life, and uh, things can look overwhelming or uncertain or frustrating or fear-filled. So it's nice to validate God's love for us one to another and uh, see ourselves the way, see God, the way God sees us in Christ. You know, really, the Father within his heart toward you has no disappointment concerning you. Because he doesn't see you for you. See, that's the good news of the gospel. Most people think they have to stand before God based on themselves. And my goodness, what an overwhelming thought. No wonder we're full of fear. But your position out of yourself into himself. See, the in Christ, the in him position, God sees you in the work of the Lamb. And that's the only work that really works. To me, Labor Day is really not about our work. I know it is in our country, hard work and these kind of things. But in the kingdom-minded people, his work is what works for us. Our place of resting in his work gives us full sufficiency for everything. And that's the beauty about the love of the Father. And that's why I go to the nations of the world. So thanks for those of you who are, uh, were able to participate and help uh, today. Thank you so very much. And uh, thank you for being planted in this place. I have such love and respect for Pastor Mike and Beth and, of course, the whole ministry here. And for many years, we've walked together in faith. And uh, it's always been a thrill for me to be here when uh, uh, Pastor Mike has a little break. And so uh, thanks for being planted in this place, being a part of the local church. Thanks for giving to your local church. It's very important, your faithfulness and your giving to your local church. So you can have such a phenomenal campus. You can reach your region and, of course, make impact all over the world. So thank you for being planted uh, in this place. What I'd like to do is just give you a little overview real quick before I teach the word. Uh, you know, this last uh, 24 or 48 hours has been somewhat challenging, I think, with the new news now developing in Syria. I was listening to some of the news this morning and seeing different things uh, uh, the last 48 hours or so. And it's very complicated because it really affects my life and, and uh, the, the, the work that we're, we're doing in, in the Middle East. In Beirut, Lebanon, and of course being on Skype throughout this week with our team leader there. In Beirut, Lebanon, you saw on the, on, on the little video our campus, about a 40,000 square foot facility we bought four years ago. You all heard the story. You all were part of the solution. And uh, as of December of last year, thank God that facility is debt free to the glory of God. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. That was... Uh, a massive, a massive miracle for our little lives and our mission work. But now it's so complicated with all the, the thousands of Syrian refugees. And, of course, many hundreds and hundreds of them come to our campus. And so we're helping as many as we can, feeding and clothing people, uh, training some of these kids in our school, our Spring of Life school, along with the other many Hezbollah children and other children there. And see, we, we, have, to, we have to approach people with the view of the Father, not with the view of human failure. And that's why it's, uh, it's thrilling to be planted in that place. And uh, it's awesome. So uh, pray with us and pray for the people. See, Paul didn't cry, but I, I'm a crier. <laughs> now, he wanted to cry, but he just, he could, just couldn't turn it on. I can turn it on. Hallelujah, huh? <laughs> but God's good. So, I think, I'll, I think I'll teach. How's that sound? That'd be better if we just... Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that we're accepted. Thank you, Father, that we're good to God. Not because we're good, but because Jesus was good. We're righteous before the Father. Not because we're righteous, but because Jesus is righteous. Wow, what wonderful news. Thank you, Lord Jesus. As we look to you, we're transformed into the very same image of who you are. Because as you are... We are too. Father, let every heart find help. 
Let every heart find hope this day in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, go with me in your Bible, if you would, to John's Gospel, chapter 12. I want to tell you a little story that starts really in verse 12 of John's Gospel, chapter 12. And I want to give you a worldview that might be a little bit uh, different than your personal perspective. In other words, I want us to see Jesus... But I want us to see him with a different sort of optic. You know, sometimes you can see something from one perspective and you think you know everything about it until you take a view from another perspective. And sometimes I think in our Christian culture, we see Jesus in a certain way, but there's something so mysterious about the love of the Father toward us. There's something so, you know, even mysterious about godliness. There's something so uh, mysterious about our union with the Father in Christ. You know, to think that our lives are hid in Christ, in God. Wow. How do you explain these kind of things? And so I want to give us a, uh, a view through the words of Jesus that may surprise you. But it's going to be a most thrilling view. It's going to put your heart at a place of peace. I hope it brings a bit of astonishment to you. I hope it brings a sense of, wow, you've got to be kidding me. I hope there's that sense of awe. I really believe the love of the, the Father for us in Christ is so dramatic that it stirs your spirit and captures you in a brand new way. So here in this story of John chapter 12, Jesus is entering the final week of his life. He, the Bible says in the Gospels, he set his face like a, you know, to, to go to Jerusalem. He made a strong willed decision because he knew what he had to do and he didn't necessarily fully like the idea. Have you ever had to make tough decisions? Jesus knew, you know, Jesus, in fact, made a statement to the Father. It's recorded in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 9. He said, Behold, Father, I've come to do your will, to take away the first, to establish the second. Now, that's an important descriptive phraseology in Scripture that defines the purpose of Jesus in the earth. The purpose of Jesus in the earth, the will of the Father for Jesus, is to get you out of a system that's based on you. And put you in a new covenant system that's based on him. It's going to be through the obedience of one that qualifies you eternally. And this whole way of thinking, Jesus knew he had to be the lamb of God. The perfect sacrifice and take the sin of the world. So he set his face like a flint, as it were, to go, go to Jerusalem. And he knew he was going to have to go to the cross and be judged for the sin of the world and find separation from the Father and take the judgment in the, in the belly of the earth and believe that the Father would raise him from the dead. Wow, that's risky. That's a faith, you know, uh, uh, assignment, as it were. So look at it says here in John chapter 12. Jesus has this in his heart and his mind. It says, The next day the great multitude that had come to the feast, they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, just for the sake of time, I'm going to paraphrase this passage. But you should check me up. Always check the visiting preacher up. You know, make sure, make sure he's telling you the truth. But Jesus is coming to town. And think about this. The Bible says there was a big feast in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem just wasn't filled with the Jewish people who were partakers of the first covenant. You know, the Mosaic, the Mosaic covenant was, was for the Jewish people. It was an exclusive covenant. But Jesus was coming for a new covenant, which was for the whole world. For Gentile people too, it was an inclusive covenant. And so as Jesus was coming, there was a big feast in Jerusalem, so people were celebrating. There was a party mode. And as Jesus comes to Jerusalem, people saw him different ways. For example, the Gentile people who were there, because there were many Gentile or Greek people or people who weren't Jewish in the city celebrating as well, they saw him as the Messiah man. They saw him as the solution. They saw him as their answer. And the Bible says people would line the streets. They lined Main Street. They had a parade. 
So Jesus came riding on the colt. We call it Palm Sunday in our, our church calendar and the vocabulary that we understand in our culture. It was Palm Sunday, and, and they would line the street. They had a parade. They would wave the palm branches and say, Hosanna, blessed is he who's coming in the name of the Lord. In other words, they saw him as their solution. They saw him as the Savior. They saw him as the Messiah. They saw him not just for his life. They saw something else about what his death could do on their behalf. Everybody couldn't see that. In fact, the scripture goes on to say a few verses later. In fact, it's recorded in verse 19 that the Pharisees. Now, who were the Pharisees? They were the, they were the Jewish folks who were stewards of the law, who would tell people what they had to do to qualify for blessing. What they had to do to qualify for righteousness. What they had to do to qualify for the goodness of God. Otherwise, there was always guilt and fear and worry and condemnation on the hearts and minds of men. The Pharisees, who lived according to the standard of themselves and not himself, couldn't see what they needed to see. So they said, look, the whole world is gone after him. They didn't get it. Now, notice something so fascinating in the very next verse. This is verse 20. Now, there were certain Greeks. Everybody say Greeks. There were certain Greeks, not Jewish people, Greek people. Outsiders, not insiders. People who didn't have an access in the first system, but were getting ready to have access to everything through the second system, the new covenant. So it says the Greeks... Uh, among those who came to worship at the feast, they came to Philip, who was from beside of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, let's pause right there. That's what I want to talk to you about a little bit this morning, this question. We wish to see Jesus. In the old King James Version, it says, we would see Jesus. Have you ever had a personal passion to see somebody or meet somebody? I remember growing up in the Midwest in Michigan, I was a Detroit Tigers baseball fan as a young boy. And uh, I remember my favorite player was Al Kaline, the right fielder. He's a Hall of Famer now. But in those early days, in let's say the, the mid-60s, late-60s, uh, early you know 70s maybe even. But I remember in a parade, on a Memorial Day parade in the little town I was born in. Al Kaline came to town. I was so excited to go to the parade, and I lined up along the parade route in our little town, and the fire truck went by, and the police cars went by with their lights, and there was a little marching band. And then Al Kaline came walking down Main Street, and we would run out and shake the hand of Al Kaline. It was a big deal to me to meet somebody that I always wanted to meet. I remember when I got older, maybe you could relate to this. Maybe you got out of college and you got hired by a great firm, maybe a big corporate firm, and you thought, man, if I could just meet the CEO, if I could just meet somebody who's bigger than me and more important than me, maybe I could get promoted. Maybe I could get fit. Have you ever had those thoughts? Or maybe you wanted to meet some, somebody. You were getting ready to date somebody and you, you, you were excited. I remember when I uh, first came to California, I came to finish university. And I finished uh, my BA degree in 1979, a long time ago, at Azusa Pacific, in fact. And uh, then my, my, my final semester of university in 1979, I was called to preach, to go to the nation's. To tell somebody they are pre-approved before the Father. You don't got to worry about nothing. Just by faith, come in. And I was excited. And I'll never forget, I got turned on to the Word. And got turned on to walking by faith. And I got turned on to who I was in Christ. And I remember going to these big, big, uh, you know, conferences or camp meetings. Whatever you want to call them. I would be up in the rafters of these big venues, you know, looking down. You know, in all the who's who, the, the name, the visible people in the body of Christ. You know, the, the people down on the staging. I'll never forget, I was with my older sister at one of the meetings, and I pointed way down. There must have been 15,000 people there. And I pointed down there, and I said to her, I said, Trish, one day I want to meet these people. Maybe they'll like me. Maybe they could help me, you know. And through the years, God's 
you know, grace of my little life. And I've met a lot of people and some people I'm glad I met and some I almost wish I never met. You know what I mean? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever met somebody and you said, I'd really like to meet her and you met her and think, dear God in heaven. You know what I mean? What, <laughs> what did I sign up for? You know what I mean? You ever, just keep looking straight ahead right now. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's that whole kind of thing. I remember when I went to Bible school. You know, I was just going to study the Word. You know, I wasn't interested in having a relationship or getting married or nothing. I was just in the Word. Just focusing the Word. But then one day, I lifted up my eyes, and I saw a little, and I thought, my, 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 my. And I thought, if I could just see her, if I could just meet her, maybe, just, just maybe, if God moved in power, just maybe she'd like me. And I was so shy, so bashful, I didn't know how to say hi. I mean, it took me about 30 minutes to figure out how to stumble over her way to introduce myself. Anyway, whatever my clumsy work was, God touched it, and she liked me. (laughs) Anyway, she's my wife. Her name's Heidi. We've been married about 31 years, so it worked. (laughs) And the beautiful thing is I liked what I saw, but I liked more what she had in her heart. I saw something That captured me. Have you ever seen Jesus in a way that so stunned you, so astonished you, so so thrilled you? Or did you just just have a religious motion in your life and you've lost the thrill of what the view has done? Let let, let me show you what I mean. Go with me uh, a little further because I think this is fascinating. We wish to see Jesus. Verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew... And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus, verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now think with me, don't you think this is odd? Don't you think this is strange? Listen, after the service, I'm going to hang around. If I'm over here after the service or out in the lobby or, you know, wherever, and you go up to Brother Paul and say, man, I'd like, I, I like that young gospel preacher you guys had today. I'd like to meet him. You know what he'll do? He'll say, oh, Keith can't see you. No, 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 he won't do that. He'll say, hey, he'll yell, hey, Keith, I've got a friend. I'll come over, I'll shake your hand. I'll give you a hug, we'll chit-chat about life. If you want to see me, I'll show you me physically. When the Greeks asked to see Jesus, they came and told Jesus, the Greeks want to see you. Jesus didn't show them himself through his life. Jesus showed himself through his death. Now, read the whole dissertation here. Jesus is speaking that the Son of Man should be glorified. Then he said, if a grain of seed will fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Then he goes into a long dissertation talking about the passion and the cross. And he says, and if I be lifted up, I, Jesus, I will include everybody. I will influence everything. I will draw all people unto myself. Here's what I want to talk to you about. When the Greek guys asked to see Jesus, Jesus wanted to be seen, but he didn't want to be seen according to his life. Jesus wanted to be seen according to his death. Why? Because the cross is the new equation for the human race. The cross is the symbol of a new covenant for all mankind, anyone, anywhere. And it's a symbol that demonstrates the heart of the Father with massive, overwhelming love. Now listen very carefully. This may sound strange. You cannot fully understand the love of the Father or the love of God in Christ through the life of Jesus. You can only understand fully the love of God in Christ in the death of Jesus. See, the life of Jesus will show you God is good. But it's the death of Jesus that gets you in Him before the Father that's transforming. That is a revolutionary love. You see, all over the world, you can find people that know about Jesus' life. They know about His miracles. They know about His birth. They know about a lot of things. You know, He healed the blind. He did this he raised the dead he fed people he provided money for people he did all kinds of things according to his life but a lot of people that know about his life are never transformed 
Because love doesn't grip you until you understand the cross and the death of Jesus. And Jesus responds to a question to be seen by telling the disciples to tell the Greeks not about his life, but about his death, because it's in his death that you are good to God. It's in his death that you're pre-approved. It's in his death that you have all things you will ever need. And it's in his death that love is demonstrated. You know, that's what the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 5. Verse 8, it says, God demonstrated his love for us while we were at our worst. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice the demonstration of love is in the death of Jesus. And so that's why Paul the Apostle had the understanding coming out of the first system because he himself said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But God used him to reveal the revelation of being in Christ and the new covenant. And Paul the apostle would later say, I know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, he had the finished work of Jesus in every equation for every decision of every part of his life. And it's all coming through your worldview. Do you see Jesus through his life alone? Or do you understand Jesus through the death? The way Jesus wanted to be seen to the Gentile. Because it tells the Gentile people, you're in. You're included. You have access. You have everything you will ever need because of what I, Jesus, have done. And this, friend, to me, is absolutely thrilling. And this is also a picture and a perfect picture that displays the love of God. So here's my question for you. We would see Jesus. You know, I have people all the time that want to see Jesus. They want, you know, to hear the Lord. They want, they want solutions and answers. And so in recent months, I'm, I'm finding that as my focus is on the Lamb of God and what He's done in my position before the Father, not based on myself, but based on in Himself, I tell you, it's a thrilling place of peace. It's a place of great rest when you're developed in the love of God that's in Christ through his death. The Bible says if you're developed in that kind of love, fear can't grip you because fear has torment. And fear always has judgment on its mind. I don't know how many people I know, they're always afraid. They're Christians and they're always afraid. They're always afraid of whatever they thought wrong, did wrong, didn't do enough of whatever. In other words, they always are judging themselves, thinking that they're the ones that have to qualify for everything instead of just taking their place in Christ and cooperating with the obedience Jesus provided. And that kind of place is, is understanding really the massive love of God for you that, uh, that we have in Christ. So to understand this kind of love... I think it's important that we appraise it. We appraise the value of God's love for you. I'm not talking now about your love for God. In fact, that's not even part of the equation. I'm talking about appraising the value of God's love for you, that God sees you good before him and it has nothing to do with you. It's based on the one you're in. Can you you get a hold of what that's like? Has that ever astonished you where it shocked you where it's even almost hard to believe? Like, you've got to be kidding me. This is why the gospel to me is thrilling. What Jesus has done and what you do is take your place in him and just relish the love of the Father. And then your love for him is always a reciprocal of what you've received. And then now you live in a peace point. You have the shalom of the blessing and the favor and the goodness and the grace of God always in full manifestation. It's thrilling. Appraising the value of love. How, how much is God's love for you worth? How, how do you put a number on it? Now, we know how to calculate physical things. We could calculate and probably through an appraiser the value of this building and property and all that. You can calculate the value of your car and... All these things. But how do, you, how do you appraise the value of God's love for you? Well, what's it worth? Has it, has it ever astonished you? Does it, does it ever make you like goofy, drunk with joy? Has it ever been so thrilling that your sins have been forgiven by God and your sins have been forgotten by God? Can you believe that? Or do you still believe God's got something on you? 
Do you live your whole life with condemnation that everything's based on you? In your, your work toward him? Or can you understand that his work for you is enough and now you rest in him? You take your place in that, in that love position and cooperate and now you're working more abundantly by the grace of God. You're doing more and providing more and being more than you could ever dream. And you realize all you did was said yes to this massive thing because you appraised the value of love and you stepped in it by faith. See, faith is really for your righteous position. It's the righteousness which is a faith. Your performance in the old system could never get you to a righteous place. So why do you think your performance in the new system can help you? It'll help you in the earth where you don't have mad at yourself and make so many pain, painful decisions. But before the Father, your righteousness is secured in Christ Jesus. Appraising the value of love. Look at the Bible says, go with me real quick to Matthew 13. Are you all glad you're here? Look at here, precious friend, Matthew 13. Jesus is speaking. The parable of the hidden treasure. Again, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Everybody say treasure. How many of y'all like treasure? Anybody like a little treasure? I like treasure. I, I, I like treasure. But see, usually when we think of treasure, we think of things that are costly. We think of things that have high dollar value, economic value. We think of expensive cars, expensive watches, you know, expensive jewelry. Expensive houses, expensive yachts, whatever, you know, we, we, we treasure in our culture. And, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But I have treasures that you wouldn't pay 25 cents for. They have no monetary value. In my office, I've got little, little things that my kids drew me. When they're three and four, they're treasures. At a yard sale, you wouldn't give 25 cents for it. But it's got my heart. What's got your heart? What moves you? What stirs you? Or is it just the rotation of the earth and we're living our lives and we're buying and selling and doing and whatever? What stirs you? Has the love of God in Christ ever astonished you? Well, you don't know how to value it. It's awesome. So again, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a treasure. It's hidden in a field, which a man found the treasure, and he hid it again. And for the joy over the treasure, he goes his way and sells all that he has and buys the field. Think what happens when you value a treasure. You appraise the value of the treasure. It gets your heart a little bit happy. My, my, my. And you go your way, and the value of the treasure motivates you to work, to acquire wealth or resources or whatever you to go back and buy the field so you have the treasure. When's the last time you've had joy over the treasure? When's the last time you sat still and just looked in the sky at the night? And the beautiful blue skies you have here in Orange County in the day. And the beautiful neighborhoods and community you live in. It's like, God, you're amazingly good to me. You love me. When have you ever been so astonished that you're good before God that it shocks you because you know deep in yourself who you are? When's it ever astonished you? This guy was astonished with the treasure He appraised the value of the treasure with joy and did everything he could do to do what he had to do to get the treasure. Look at the next verse. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant sinking out beautiful pearls. Everybody say pearls. You know, pearls, diamonds, precious gems. How many of y'all like pearls, diamonds, and precious gems? Anybody at all? Just three or four of you. Some of you aren't telling the full truth. You know, we, 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 all, like, we all like jewelry, don't we? Well, I mean, we all like nice things. You like a nice watch. You like, good, you know, jewelry and things. My wife, Heidi, she, you know, she likes pearls and diamonds and precious stones. 
But she also likes costume jewelry. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Huh? <laughs> you know, because, listen, Heidi didn't marry me because I had money. When, when Heidi met me, when I stumbled over and introduced myself to her, and we started going to prayer meetings together in church services, I was broke. I was making $500 a month. I had a car in 1966, Oldsmobile 98. The thing was as long as the auditorium. <laughs> I told people it was my Sunday school bus. Yeah, I'd go out and find, find the bums, find the drunks. I'd tell them you're good to God as you are, not as you need to be. Come, this fellowship. That's how I started. So Heidi knew that if she signed up for a deal with me, she had to do it by faith. So thank God she likes costume jewelry. Sometimes I can please her with five bucks, seven bucks, a little earring, a little... No, she likes the, the real stuff too. And through the years, we've, we've been blessed enough to, to get her little nicer things. But I remember years ago... Well, let me read this whole, whole passage first, then I'll tell you a story. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls or treasure, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all he had and bought it. When, when's the last time you've treasured Jesus as a pearl of great price? When, when's the last time you've been just absolutely in awe with the beauty and the dimensions of who he is and what he's done? When, when, when have you ever been so astonished? It's hard to believe the goodness of God. When have you ever just gazed at it so much? It's like seeing a nice diamond in a jewelry store. You just like to gaze at it, look at it under light, look at it, you know, through a magnifier or whatever. You know, you like to see the beauty of a treasure. Jesus is the treasure. But from his perspective, you're the treasure. See, God doesn't see you as you are. He sees you in Christ. And that, that thought alone is astonishing because the religions of the world and a work-based Christianity will give you the same worldview that it's all up to you. But a position of what Jesus has done in a new operating system, getting you out of the old into the new, not based on you, based on him, suddenly changes the equation. And now it's thrilling. Now you can see people, you know, in him instead of as they are. And that's... A lot of times, the only way you can deal with people. Otherwise, life gets too complicating relationally. But many years ago, Heidi and I were... Uh, I was preaching in, in Europe. I was on my way to Africa. I think I was in Paris preaching. And I was catching a train, me and Heidi, from Paris back to Amsterdam. And we had to go through Brussels, Belgium. And it's the first time I've been to Brussels, the only time I've ever been there in my life. And this was many, many years ago. So I said, when the train stopped in Brussels, we found out that we could get off and spend like four or six hours and just see the city and still get to Amsterdam for, you know, the flight and everything we need to do. So I said, hey, Heidi, why don't we just get off and just see the city, you know, just relax for a half a day and just just enjoy you know so i was on my best behavior and my wife she likes she likes antiques you know antique stores and there's a there's a section in brussels all antique stores i mean store after in antique jewelry so i thought well this would be good i could just be really nice today and just walk the streets and look at antique stores and just have a nice time just window shop because window shopping never cost you anything that's a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> Window shopping can cost you everything, huh? <laughs> anyway, uh, so we had our little coffee. You know, we're walking these cobblestone streets and just, you know, looking in the windows. All the little things be in a window. And, you know, I can see the whole window in about 8, 10, 12 seconds. You know, I'm done. <laughs> Heidi, she's got to look at every little thing. So I look, and I stand behind her. She's looking, and I think, oh, dear God, move her along. Hallelujah. Bump her along. 
prompter. She looked back at me and said, oh, this is awesome, Heidi. This is just great. You know, just, Lord, just let's, let's get this thing moving. You know, we got, we got several streets we got to look at. So we look in this window. We go to the next window. And, you know, we go to the next window. We go to the next window. We go to the next window. Finally, we're at this next window. And Heidi all of a sudden says, oh, oh Keith, look at this ring. I love it. My heart begins to tremble, you know. And I say, I don't see anything in there I like. You know, there's nothing in there that like turns me on. Nothing catches my... Oh, no, Keith, look at it. It's a little ring. It's the antique setting, the little diamonds on it. It's just so beautiful. It's right next to that necklace. You see that neck? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see that little ring. Now, what do you think I was afraid of? The cost. The cost. See, when something astonishes you, you got to appraise it. If Jesus and his finished work for you before the Father has never astonished you, then maybe you haven't seen it right. Maybe love hasn't totally captured you. Maybe you're just going through the motions of something that you think is something you have to do to qualify. Maybe you don't understand your pre-approved position. So... I said, oh, that's a pretty ring. She says, I love that, Keith. So I said, well, let's go in. See, once you see the treasure, and by by the way, the Bible says all the treasures of God are wrapped up in Christ. But this is where the mystery comes in. When you see what you have in Christ, you got to step into it. Faith gets you from the outside to the inside. And so what we had to do was open the door. And Jesus is the door. He said, I am the door. So you step into Christ and suddenly you're in God. That's the mystery. My life is hidden now in Christ, in God, in the fullness of everything. Now from the outside to the inside was only a faith movement, but everything changes. The feeling now changes. So the little shop owner was there. I said, sir, he's kind of like the Holy Spirit. I said, sir, there's a little ring in the window. My wife really likes it. Could I see it, please? He said, certainly. He walks over to the window. He gets the ring out of the window. He puts it in my hand. Treasure's different from a view to when it's in your hand. Now, I took the little ring. I put it on my wife's finger. Her face lit up. Oh, Keith. I love this. I thought to myself, oh, no. I'm in trouble, you know? Because I didn't want to disappoint her, you know, that I can't, I don't have enough money. You know that that sickening thought? So I said to the shop owner, I said, my wife likes it. I said, how much do you want for the ring? He said, well... It appraises for seven hundred or seven hundred and fifty dollars. I said, Okay. I said it might be worth seven hundred to you, but I'll give you four fifty cash. I started negotiating. My wife isn't fond of me when I negotiate in front of her. She always says, Keith, please pay the full price for everything when you're with me. And just call all the excess money that you ever lose. Call it a seed sown into the lives of the people. I say, we got to renew your mind, my precious one. Let me lay hands on you. No, I don't do that. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) I bought the ring that day. I don't know, $450 or whatever it was. Today, Heidi still wears the ring. When she wears the ring to different, you know, meetings or whatever. And I see that she has it on. I'll never forget the treasure of her face, all these zillions of years ago. It's something that's captured me. Do you have anything that marks you? Do you have anything every day that marks you? Is your heart tender enough for the treasure to see Jesus, not just according to his life, but in his death that makes you feel good before God because it has nothing to do with you? I tell you, precious friend, when these kind of truths 
unfold in your spirit. It changes everything. It changes everything. Because you've appraised the value of love. Let me show you something real quick. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's 11. What time am I supposed to wait? 11? No. Let, let me show you one verse. Real quick. Go with me. I, I want to let you out because I know a long weekend and, and you guys need to go to one of those restaurants. <laughs> and, and I do too. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, look, look at this. This is kind of cool. Are you all having a good time? Look at, look at this precious friend, and, and then I'll stop. Now, those of you that can come tonight, be here tonight. I tell you, my goodness, we're going to absolutely unwind this further in terms of your physical healing. It, it's going to thrill you. But look at this. In, in Luke 24, now this is exactly one week after the parade. This is exactly one week after Jesus gave the announcement about seeing him according to his death, not according to his life. Now Jesus has gone to the cross. He took your sin and my sin before we were here. And it was judged once and for all before you and I got here. That's astonishing in itself. It will never be done again in terms of the cross. It's a once and for all done deal. He went to the grave. He took the punishment... And the Father raised him up. Now, on the day of his risenness, after he presents his blood, presents himself to the Father, he shows himself alive now in the earth. And on the same day of his risenness, he shows up walking on the road to Emmaus with a couple of his disciples. Now, the road to Emmaus, you know, it was a seven-mile journey. Jesus showed himself to them physically, yet they couldn't see him. Remember, what am I talking about? We would see Jesus. Jesus doesn't get as much joy you seeing him according to his physical life as you do seeing him in his death. Because it's in his death when you get that, it changes you. And notice Jesus explains it through his own preaching. And notice Jesus preaches differently after the resurrection. When Jesus preached before the cross, he preached the law because he was born under the law. And he preached the law on steroids. To show people you can't do it, you can't qualify. Even those of you who think you've never murdered anybody, if you have ought against your brother, you're guilty of murder. Those of you who think you never committed adultery, if you look at someone, you're guilty Jesus preached the law on steroids to show people you can't qualify of yourself. Look to me, I am your qualifier. But they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. So now after the risenness or the resurrection of Jesus, he shows up. Verse 15, it says, so they converse and reason. Jesus himself drew near, went with them, but their eyes were restrained. And they couldn't see him or they didn't know him. Remember, we're talking about the question of the Greeks. We would see Jesus. So he was with them physically. You could handle and touch his body, even though it was a spirit body. And they didn't know who he was. And he was with them. Their eyes were restrained. They did not know him. Verse 27. So what did Jesus do? At beginning of Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. How did Jesus preach after the resurrection? He would take the Old Testament, the law... Psalms and the prophets, says in this text, and he would preach concerning himself. He would preach of him being the Messiah and the pre-approver for the whole world. That your righteousness now is in the great exchange where he took your sin and he gives you right, right, righteousness. Righteousness now is a gift, not something you, you qualify for. It has nothing to do with your effort. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with your faith position in the shop, in the, through the door, through Jesus. Robed with the glory of the, the sparkling gem of who he is. Now look at this. This is so cool to me. They didn't get it even after he preached. Now sometimes I'm a preacher <laughs> around the world. You see in our different campuses and I think I wonder if anybody gets it. I wonder if I get it. You know, sometimes when I preach things, you know, it's just like. It's astonishing. Thank God we can grow in the love of the Father. 
Thank God we can grow in the grace of God. But Jesus preached, and when he preached, they couldn't get it. That encourages me. Makes me happy. And these were disciples. And he preached concerning himself, and they still couldn't see him. Look at it says. Verse 30. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, he took the bread. And he blessed it. And he broke it. And he gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they saw him. They knew him and he vanished from their sight. Think about this now. This to me is so thrilling. Jesus has this long walk on the road to Emmaus. A long day. Walks with him four, five, seven miles. It was a seven mile journey. I don't know where he picked up in the journey from the start. Or he, he walks with them for hours. Preaching to him, and they didn't get his preaching. So he sits with them, and what did he do? He broke bread. He had communion. What's communion a picture of? Not Jesus in his life. It's a picture of Jesus in his death. And when they could see Jesus in his death, they knew him, and he was gone. See, Jesus checked out physically when they understand what he did to pre-approve them. And then their hearts leap with joy. You can read the whole story. It's absolutely thrilling. Here's what I want to encourage you to do, precious friend. When you're discouraged with you, get your eyes off you. Because you're never going to be good enough. You're just not that good. None of us are. There was only one who could qualify. And he was the lamb. He was the lamb. He was the one and the only one who could pre-approve the human race so God could set a whole new covenant into operation once and for all you and I and the whole human race has an eternal redemption if we can just see it and step into it. And when you step into God, you get the rings, you get the robe, you get the shoes, you get the joy, you get the peace, you get the fullness of who he is. Do you see him today? Every day, evaluate the lamb and call him good for you. Every day, if you can, somehow in your mind or in your soul and in your driving to work, in the midst of the traffic, in the midst of your pain throughout a decision in the day, see the lamb. It'll put joy in your heart. It'll take the trouble out of you and you'll trouble, you'll, you'll trouble your trouble with the finished work of what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. God loves you this much. I tell people all over the world, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, or whether you like it or not, God loves you completely. And there's no disappointment in the Father concerning you. No matter how big of a rascal you've been, you're accepted before the Father in the work of the One, Jesus Christ. So come on in. Don't labor and labor and labor and labor and labor trying to be good for God. Labor to enter into rest and open the door and say, wow, count me in. You're welcome as you are and not as you need to be. That's how God chooses to see you. Did you all like the word today? Praise the Lord. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise or rejoice. Well, I've preached myself hungry. Hallelujah. Let's stop. Put your hands over your heart. Father, these are your precious ones. These are your kids. Let them all know it. Let them believe it. Let them know that you've appraised them to give them a chance to appraise you. Let the love of God so overwhelm them. Let the love of God astonish them. Let the love of God give them joy so they can move through life and do what they need to do to not just acquire the treasure, but share the treasure. If you've never asked for the treasure to be yours, 
you've never accepted the love of God in Christ, if you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, just do it now. Just quiet a moment. Say, Jesus, sounds good to me. I believe. I see you, Jesus, in your death. I believe you were raised to life so I could live forever with you. Thank you, Father, we're forgiven. Thank you, our sins are forgotten. Thank you, we can acknowledge our place in the Lamb of God and be thrilled with massive joy. Father, I pray, too, for those who have pain in their lives, those who are just emotional mess, those who have challenges with family, with friends, and jobs in their world. Let them not be overwhelmed. Today and throughout this long weekend, let them see you again. Let them appraise the value of love. Let them be astonished. I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, thanks you all for letting me share again today. Tell Pastor Mike and Bethel when they return how grateful I am. You're all very kind to have me. And let me say, I'm going to be here. If you want to see me, I'm going to show you my life, not my death. Hallelujah. I'll shake shake your hand by the grace of God. I'll live. Uh, uh, Hallelujah. But uh, anyway, I do have our magazine again. If you want to pray for our missions, it's there. Also, if you want to get a little monthly email, we send out a little video where we are around the world every month. Uh, you'd like it, you can just leave your little email address if you want. But uh, that's what that is. Also, if you like this teaching, I have a series called We Would See Jesus, Appraising the Value of His Love. I, I got it started. It's three three CDs. It's kind of cool. And um, you can get that back there. I think it's discounted. It's $15. And if you don't have $15, don't worry, I got you covered. No, no worries. Also, I'm happy in a different way because... Uh, three weeks ago, my newest book came out. It's called Beloved. It's the term beloved. But to me, this is the only assignment a believer has daily. is to be loved. It will satisfy the whole effort of your love for God or your love for people. In fact, loving God and loving people will never be an issue if you're being loved. But you have to be a receiver of it. Ten chapters, 225 pages... Uh, this will make you cry. This will touch your heart. This will outline some of the, the sparkle of the treasure. You say, you've got to be kidding me. No. Yeah. I want to shock you. Anyway, there's some of those back there. It's normally $15. You can get it on Amazon. You can get the digital copy, actually. Go to Amazon and uh, uh, for Kindle. Is that what it is? And, um, or, you know, a Kindle app for iPad or whatever. That's what I have mine on. But anyway, that's back there. It's, no, uh, it's normally $15. It's, it's $10 today. And uh, get as many as you want. If we run out, we'll send them to your house. Just leave your name and address with how many you want. We'll give them for you as well. Praise the Lord. You guys have a good time. Hey, let me tell you one other thing. My wife feels so bad she's not here. Last night at about 4.30, my daughter-in-law went to the hospital uh, because she's great with child, and she was having, you know, she thought she was having the baby. So it was a false alarm, and uh, they sent her home about 7.30 from the hospital. But Heidi's with uh, with Kelsey because uh, in our first grandchild, uh, we were gone preaching. And Heidi said, Keith, I really love you. I love the ministry, but I don't love you that much, you know. <laughs> She said, I'm, I'm going to be here with the grandbaby. So that's why she's not here. God bless you all.